back to the Resilience Institute podcast, episode two. Firstly, uh, before we talk about today's topic, I just want to say a quick thank you to all of you who listened to the first episode. I remember when I first started thinking about doing a podcast, and obviously this is new to me, and when I was doing my reading about audiences and how to increase the reach and the impact of them, most of the sites said if you get over 25 to 30 downloads in the first week, you're doing pretty well. And at last checking, we were up to nearly 150, which is mind-blowing. So again, thank you. And if you enjoy these or you think of someone who may find some benefit in them, please share this podcast with them as it helps me uh, with my goal to reach and help as many people as possible. So last week in planning for the podcast, I did an Instagram story asking for topics people would like to hear and I got, a quite, I got quite a few good suggestions. A few common ones were based on how to progress weights and how hard to push in training and I thought it would be go- uh, a good first general topic to discuss because it's extremely common for for people to think that they need to push extremely hard if they want to make gains in the gym. Like, And while this is true... Um, from all of the the Ronnie Coleman's and the Arnie's, you, the YouTube motivational videos that everyone watches before they go and they do a um, gym session, to all of the TikToks and Instagram videos and reels, with the hype music and the big boys and the big girls pushing to failure and then throwing up in the bin or struggling down the steps after a big leg session. Every one of these has great intention. Don't get me wrong; it's to get more people having a go in the gym and actually pushing hard and and trying to get what they want out of the gym. But the problem is they're unintentionally glorifying pushing to the max and busting the body every session or else you're weak and you're a failure and you're not having a crack and and you're not working hard. And most of these people that you see in these videos, like the Arnie's and the Ronnie's and the Chris Bumsteads and things like that, they're on, they most likely are and they are on performance-enhancing drugs where they can do this and they can bust their balls because they recover twice as fast, if not faster than that, than the average Joe. So they can push really hard, push really hard, and then tomorrow they're almost ready to go again. Um, but but you don't need to be busting your ass every single set and every single session. There's actually quite an art to training and it's true when people say work smarter, not harder. And I don't want you take, to take this as me saying, oh, train easy, take it easy, and you'll still get results. You don't have to work hard if you work smart. But and it, it, it should definitely still be challenging. You should still definitely be pushing yourself, but you should always be leaving a little room in the tank. You wouldn't fill your car up and then redline with your foot to the floor every trip you do to empty the tank as, quick, as quickly as possible. If we think about our bodies, our bodies are like a car. Training empties the fuel tank, so gym, running, all that kind of stuff, and adequate sleep, nutrition, rest, hydration, and stress management refills that tank. That's our petrol. And if we redline too often for too long, we're going to break down. If we're always redlining and going as hard as we can, that's why we have that in a car to tell us we're accelerating too hard and we're putting too much stress on the engine and strain and that we're going to break down eventually or cause problems. So, to give a bit of background, we need to discuss how muscle is actually built at a physiological level. There are three pathways. We have muscle tension, we have muscle damage, and metabolic stress. So, muscle damage is where we get those micro tears in the muscle from repeated repetition, so the muscle actually breaks down. And then the body repairs these after sleeping, eating protein, and things like that bigger 
in preparation for the next anticipated stress it thinks it has to go through. So your next gym session, it thinks, oh, I've got to go and do bicep curls again. I need, I better grow it back bigger so it's a bit easier. Because remember, back in the day, we want, we needed, we were uh, in energy saving mode because we didn't know where our next meal was coming from. So our brain is hardwired to try and save energy and make things as uh, as efficient as possible at all times. So it grows it back bigger, bigger and stronger. In so next time it's easy and we don't use as much energy. Then we have metabolic stress, and this is where, as the name implies, there is metabolite accumulation. So metabolites. After exercise in response to low energy, so think lactic acid and the feeling you get when your legs are, they they get heavy when you're running or training and they burn, the metabolites that accumulate around your muscle and in your muscle, they can cause a flow-on effect and reactions that can result in muscle growth. And then we have mechanical tension. So this one's widely known as the main driver of muscle growth and to maximize mechanical tension and the resulting growth from each of your sets, you need to be able to recruit as many muscle fibers as possible during that set. If you aren't recruiting all of the muscle fibers, they can't all be stimulated for adaptation and growth and we can't grow at an optimal level. So to give some context behind this, each muscle is made up of different types of muscle fiber. We have type 1, type 2A and type 2X. With this episode, we don't need to dive into depth about the difference between type 2A and type 2X. We just need to really know we have type 1 and then we have type 2. Type 1, these are your slow twitch fibers where they produce low levels of force, but they can contract repeatedly and they can just go on forever. So think like a marathon runner. And then we have type 2 fibers, which they're your fast twitch. So they produce high force. Um, So think sprinting, heavy lifting, but they fatigue really easy. And the brain, the brain will use a certain percentage of the total muscle fibers in any given muscle to complete a task when we voluntarily contract our muscles to move or lift weights, um, etc. And it depends on how much force we need to produce. Okay. Different muscles have been shown to have different makeups and percentages of um, type 1 and type 2 ratios, but that's not important. We just need to know we have type 1 muscle fibers and then type 2. Type 1 muscle fibers, because they're the low force, but they can contract um, repeatedly forever and they don't fatigue easy, they're the ones that are recruited first. These are your everyday activities when you're walking, picking up objects, moving your limbs and things like that because you don't need much force and you need to be able to just continually do it. But as the force required increases and all of the type 1 muscle fibers are recruited, your brain will then begin to recruit the type 2A fibers. And then again, if more force is still needed, the type 2X fibers. These are the hardest ones to recruit. But you just need to know we have our type 1, we recruit them. When more force is required, it will start to recruit the type 2 fibers. And this is where... This is what we call motor unit recruitment. So this is where there is like a, a sequential activation. So it's the, it sequences from type 1 to type 2 of the same motor units and muscle fibers and then additional ones. So type 1, type 2A, type 2X. As incre- uh, force required increases or as we fatigue. So as those muscle fibers fatigue during the, that voluntary contraction, so think you try to lift something heavy um, and you fatigue and it gets harder and we need more force, the body recruits more and more fibers to make the job easier. And like we were talking about before, if we want to recruit, if we want to grow and um, 
get all our muscle fibers stronger and bigger, we need to actually recruit them all. So if we want to stimulate as many fibers as possible for adaptation, we need to give the body a reason to call upon those extra fibers. So this is why we lift heavy weights and we push towards failure because A, we're needing more force the heavier we lift. And then as we make our muscles tired and we push closer to failure, our body will call upon more of those fibers. So the more reps we do and closer to failure we, during a set we get, the more motor unit recruitment so, and activation we get of those muscle fibers. And this is also why booty bands, they don't actually activate your muscles any more than normal training does. But I'll leave those things for their own entire freaking episode because I'll be here for 30 minutes just talking about them, uh, the booty bands themselves. So in theory, going to failure is going to lead to more maximal motor unit recruitment and mechanical tension. So you'd think that means more growth. But the problem is when we go to complete failure, it's very taxing and draining on the body because it requires a lot of effort and energy. It also creates excessive muscle damage and it means it's going to take us longer to recover between sessions. And we'll talk about frequency and volume of training in another episode. But in short, like I said, we want to stimulate as much muscle fiber as possible But then we also want to be as recovered as possible for the next session because if we go to failure and we get a lot of muscle damage, it can easily carry over into your next workouts the next week, during this week or the next week. And then that ends up hindering your performance in those workouts because your muscles are still damaged and recovering and it leads to poor performance. And then you can't even push hard anyway because you're still sore from the last session. And if this is done over long periods of time with inadequate recovery, so sleep, nutrition, rest, uh, hydration, and stress management, not ice baths and massages, it can eventually lead to a state of overtraining because you're not recovering enough and you're doing too much volume and fatigue. So although it's much rarer than people think, this overtraining state can happen and it results in a reduction of things like anabolic hormones and, and an environment of stress that is detrimental to actually creating muscle tissue and performance in the first place. So they're actually, like I said, we don't want to go all the way to failure, but we don't want to make it too easy because then the body's not going to call upon many muscle fibers to actually work and recruit. So there is a sweet spot for recruiting maximum muscle fibers while still not pushing your body to breaking point. And this is the bit of application I want you to take away from today. So uh, motor unit or muscle fiber recruitment and muscle fiber activation, they increase steadily as you get closer to, to fatigue with heavy enough loads or high enough repetitions. But it plateaus at around three to five reps shy of failure. And this is where that myth of 8 to 12 reps being the best for hypertrophy came from because you can actually build just as much muscle with all the stuff we've talked about doing sets of 5 reps or sets of 30 reps as long as you're close enough to failure. The downsides can just be that if you do like 1 to 5 reps, that can be very demanding on your nervous system and joints because it's an extremely heavy weight. Whereas higher reps can just be shit to do because you have so many, you have to do so many reps and it gets tiring and it it accumulates a lot of systemic fatigue. So, in your whole body. So, doing a combination of all rep ranges in your training is ideal because depending on what you want to achieve out of your training, so let's say you want to do, you want to get stronger, you'd want to be doing less reps more often than not because that's what the strength is the ability to produce force. But if you just want to move your body and grow some muscle, but you don't care about strength as much being a priority, 
You can do high reps and that would be fine if you're still going close to failure. So Hayden, how do I do this? So let's say you can do 10 reps of a leg press and not a single more. And then if you went to do an 11th, your form would break down and your body would start doing all this wacky shit and spasming, um, spasming to get the weight up. You should only perform six to seven out of those potential 10 that you could do and leave a few reps in the tank. So you're leaving three to four in the tank. This would be enough load and volume to maximize your, uh, your motor unit recruitment without driving you to that unnecessary fatigue of going to full failure hitting the 10 reps. Or let's say you could do 15 reps of an exercise. You should only perform 10 to 12 out of that 15 for the same result. And this comes with trial and error, and it's it's been shown that people often highly underestimate what they're capable of. So for example, let's say you think you could only do 15, but you've never tried it. If someone had a gun to your head or, or was motivating you or cheering you on, you could actually probably get 20 to 25 reps. So this comes with experience and actually pushing very close to fatigue every now and then to learn your actual limits and get used to that not just picking random numbers for limits that you place on yourself because you're either too tired or you can't be bothered putting in effort or things like that. So in summary, we want to stay around three to five reps away from true actual muscular fatigue and failure. So this recruits enough to maximally actually stimulate growth of all the muscle fibers without the fatigue that ends up impairing recovery and ends up leading into other sessions and impairing your performance and growth. So just start being a bit more conscious about this in your sessions when choosing weight and when choosing when to stop your set. And remember that it's it's a process that's going to come with experience, but at least now you know that you don't need to bust your balls every single session and vomit and shake down the stairs when you walk into your car to get maximal growth and maximal progress. You can leave two to three sets or one to, um, reps or one to two reps, depending on what um period you are of your program or your block um, because obviously the more you go into a uh, block you're going to have to increase the intensity and the the challenge of your training so that's where you may start in the first um, the first one to two weeks of a program you might start three to four reps from failure and then in the last week or so of a program you might go one to two reps to make it a bit more challenging at the same weight if you want so remember, it's a process that's going to come with experience uh, and just start being a bit more conscious about it. Start trying it out in your training and let me know how you go. Until next time, Hados. Hey